Would you bow your heads and pray with me? self for our salvation and we we ask this morning as uh, Owen and Ivy are coming to holy baptism soon we ask that you would guard and protect their hearts that you would grow them up into the fullness of the faith that is being promised for them that they are beginning to confess for themselves Lord that they would grow into the fullness uh, through the waters of baptism we ask this God we're asking it this morning and so we ask that you would uh, by faith this morning, make alive the scriptures in all of our hearts. Help us to hear what you are saying to us each individually and to us as a church. Uh, we need you to make that happen this morning by your spirit. Uh, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm in Luke chapter 24 this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. I've been pondering a question this week. Have you, have you ever experienced this? Have you ever been so gut-wrenchingly ashamed that you can't even breathe? I'm hoping some of the littlest kids have not been there yet. I pray that you don't get there. If you haven't been there, I can almost guarantee you that you will. I can almost guarantee you that you will, and maybe many, many times in your life. I've been reflecting on my experience of shame, my lifetime experience of shame this week. It's a great way to start an Easter sermon. There you go, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a page and a half about this, all right? So buckle up. In my lifetime of following Jesus, I've had plenty of opportunity to reflect on this feeling of being ashamed, of shamed. I've noticed in recent years and months and even this week that I cannot seem to escape this vicious cycle, this vicious cycle of shame. And in some ways, my experience of shame has changed. I think it should change for us. It's different today than it used to be. I used to feel a lot of active shame. What, what do I mean by active shame? What I mean by active shame is that you've done something wrong. And I'm not saying I don't do things wrong anymore. Let me just make that very clear. You've done something wrong uh, maybe, here's an example, maybe your parents have told you to do something and you've actively, consciously, staring them in the face, have rebelled against what they just told you to do. This is what I'm talking about, a, a, a high-handed, I'm, I'm going to rebel, rebel against them to their face. You've clicked that link and you've dove deep into this shame, this active shame. You've lied or else You've told a half-truth to make yourself look better and then felt bad about it for weeks. You've actively entertained a story, a fantasy. You've rehearsed it in your mind, this unfulfilled fantasy, over and over again. Or as we say in morning prayer every day, you've done those things which you ought not to have done. This is active. I've I've done those things which I ought not to have done. You've sinned and you felt shame because of your sin. I used to feel this a lot more. I've, I'm growing in this. I'm growing in this. I'm not the boy that I used to be. 
And although I have moments of active rebellion against God by God's grace, I, often, I don't often anymore stare into his face and say, ah, I'm going against you, God. Like a child staring at a dad, he says, don't touch that son. And then he looks him back in the eye, testing his resolve. I'm in control, daddy. I'm in control. I, I, don't, I don't find that I'm testing God in those sorts of ways. But even then, even then, I still feel this cycle of shame. And what I've been discerning this week is that there is both active shame and there's passive shame. There's active shame and there's passive shame. With every corner of my heart and my mind that I've surrendered to God, or maybe it's best to say that he's conquered in me, that he is, he is broken down in me, with every corner, I have actively left other parts not to him. I've left other parts not to him. I've actively done these things which I ought not to have done, but more and more every day, I notice every moment and every part of me that has, as we say in morning prayer as well, left undo undone those things we ought to have done. We've left undone those things that we know that we're supposed to do, and so we feel not a sense of I actively rebelled against God, but I'm not, I'm not walking in obedience. I'm being passive. I'm not, I'm not being obedient. I've left undone those things which I ought to have done. My mom has always prayed over me. She's prayed since probably the day I was born until I, I hope she still prays for me. She says, God, don't allow Chris to get away with it. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that she... She spanked a lot of those impulses out of me to actively rebel against her authority and my dad's authority. And by God's mercy, my mom and dad, they didn't let me get away with that. And so I have a few habits, a few virtuous habits that have been gifts to me. But even then, I can't get rid of this cycle, the cycle of rebellion. Every dry season in God's word, and this is where I've been, I think, as I've discerned this week, every dry season in God's word, when I don't feel God's presence, when I read the Bible, I read Holy Scripture, and I can go, I can go days even without feeling anything. It feels like rote uh, Bible study or like something I'm supposed to do because I'm a pastor. That's, what I, that's how I feel very often. That's how I felt this week. And you know what that leads to very often? It leads to me not picking up my Bible left undone. When I distract myself with planning instead of praying, being productive instead of slowing down on my knees in prayer for my own soul and the souls of my family and for each one of you, left undone. These are things that I, I need to walk in, but I don't. When I can post online about all the good books that I've been reading, but I haven't sat down with my children to have a deeper conversation about Jesus in weeks. Left undone. So many things left undone. So both actively and passively, I have sinned against God's holy law a lot in my life. And I, and I do see God, signs of God's grace. I see little, little habits of breaking the cycle in my life, but it's still there. It still rears its ugly head over and over again. Many of us this morning have a weight on our chest. 
We're walking in this morning with a weight on our chest. Words that are burning, they're burning inside that you want them to get out, but you don't really want to. You have a lump in your throat, but you can't seem to open your mouth to speak. Maybe, maybe you've confessed your sin to God. Maybe in a few moments, as we make confession to God, you'll confess your sins to God, but you haven't confessed it to another person. Maybe to me, maybe to a spouse or to a friend. You can tell God all your sins because he already knows all of your sins. We, we can get into like the liturgical practice of doing that. We tell him because he already knows, but you can't seem to confess your sins to anyone else for fear that you'll hurt them. You'll hurt them or else they'll hurt you. They'll hurt you. You don't want to let them down or be rejected. We're, we're all in this cycle in different ways, and this is what I've been reflecting on this week. Luke's gospel, just a couple, a couple chapters before our reading this morning. Seated at a table at the Last Supper with his 12 disciples, Jesus' last conversation with Simon Peter before he is crucified. And this is what he says to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. We can think of, if you've been, if you've been following in the daily office recently, you can think of, the, of Job. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Three times that you know me. Luke records another haunting, wordless conversation just a few verses later in chapter 22. After Jesus' arrest, Luke says that Peter was following Jesus to the high priest's home. So he's following Jesus at a distance, Luke says. And in the courtyard of the high priest's house, first, Peter lies to a little servant girl. Okay, so... Here's a little lie to a little servant girl, and then he lies to a man. He, he gets a little bit more gusto, and for a third time, and the lie grows. If you've ever been caught in a lie, the lie grows just a little bit more with each telling. Peter denied Jesus three times, and standing there in the high priest's courtyard, a rooster crowed. A rooster crowed. And Luke adds this little detail, which I did not notice until this week. From across the courtyard, and I, and I imagine, I don't know actually, if Jesus was close enough to hear the conversation, maybe he wasn't. He might not have been close enough to hear this fireside conversation, but Peter could still see Jesus, according to Luke, as he warmed himself by the fire as he lied. Luke chapter 22 and verse 61. And the Lord, Jesus, turned and looked at Peter. Right after the rooster crowed, he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out 
and wept bitterly. This was the last wordless conversation that Simon Peter had with Jesus before he went up to be crucified. And Peter would later write to the churches. And we heard that this morning. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is the same Peter. This is the word, the good news that I preached to you. This is what we heard this morning. Now we know, we know that Peter was not done yet with his sanctification. In the Acts of the Apostles and from the Apostle Paul's letters, Simon Peter was still going to have many more humbling experiences throughout his lifetime of ministry. And this is what I've been considering this week. How did the Simon Peter who wept bitterly, who was, who was ashamed, who saw Jesus from across the courtyard, who saw the wordless, grief-stricken eyes of Jesus looking at him as he denied him, how did that guy, how did that guy, the same Simon Peter who did all these things, come to the end of his life when he would willingly go up to be crucified, and he said, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord, so he was crucified upside down because by the end of his life, he wouldn't deny Jesus anymore. That's a, that's a big jump. Deny him to his face, to his face, weeping bitterly, terrified and afraid to confess him even to death, even to crucifixion. After all of his active and passive rebellion against God, at the end, he could call upon the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Wow. What a prayer. What an what a exhortation. I want to know how he broke the cycle of shame. That's what I want to know. How, how did he break this cycle of shame in his life? Simon Peter is not an active character in our gospel story from Luke chapter 24, which I just read for us. Just before our reading, there are two Marys and Joanna and some other women who told the apostles about the empty tomb and their conversation with the angels. And Peter is there. Peter runs to the tomb. Just three days previous, he, he last saw the grief-stricken face of Jesus across the high priest's courtyard, and he heard about the angels and the empty tomb, and he ran to the tomb. That's, that's boldness. That's Peter-like boldness. I wouldn't do it. I would still be ashamed and afraid, but he, he ran to the tomb, and he was amazed that Jesus was not there. But then, but then the story shifts to a road on a way to a small town, and that's where our gospel reading begins. A disciple of Jesus named Cleopas, named Cleopas, who we don't know anything else about. We don't know anything about this guy, but he's on a seven-mile walk with the risen Lord Jesus with another unnamed disciple. This is how the story begins, but neither of them recognize him. And Luke, the gospel writer, said they were kept from recognizing him. And as they walked, the disciples were talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and about the empty tomb. And Jesus asked them, he asked them twice, 
What are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? I love Jesus. So they tell Jesus, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what happened? It's so funny. It's so funny. It sounds like a Peter-like response. Are you the only one who's not heard the news? What happened? And so they proceed to tell them the whole story. And Jesus responds, you guys are such fools. You guys are such fools. You talk about all of this like it's a myth. Like it's a myth and you don't believe. Haven't you heard anything the last three years? Haven't you heard anything the last three years? And still not recognizing the risen Lord Jesus, beginning with Moses and going through the entire Old Testament, Jesus on this five-hour walk proceeds to tell them again, which he's been telling them for years, again he tells them that all the story of the Bible is about him. It's about Jesus. And as they walked and as Jesus spoke to them, their hearts burned within them. It burned within them, and they're getting fired up. They're like, man, this sounds like something I've heard before. I'm getting fired up about this. It reminds me of Jesus. Jesus used to say this kind of stuff all the time, but they still don't recognize him. They still don't recognize him. And at the end of the day, they arrive at the village. The story says that they arrive at the village, but Jesus doesn't stop. I love Jesus. Again, I love how he shows up in this conversation, in this walk. He doesn't stop with them. He stays on the road. He, he pretends, he pretends that he wasn't planning on staying with them. He keeps on walking as if he's going on to the next village. And so the disciples, he draws them out. He draws them out and the disciples plead, Jesus, well, they don't know it's Jesus yet. You've been our companion in the way all day long. You've kindled our hearts. You've awakened hope in us. You've revealed so much truth in the scriptures. Stay with us, for evening is at hand and the day is past. I hope some of you recognize that prayer. Do you recognize that maybe a little bit from evening prayer? We pray this prayer all the time. Stay with us, Jesus. For evening is at hand. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope. And Jesus responds to their request. Okay, okay, I'll stay with you. And he went into the home to stay with them. Luke chapter 24 and verse 30 from our reading. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. These are the same four verbs that he just used a couple chapters earlier in the Last Supper. When he said, this is my meal that I'm giving to you. And then, the text says, he vanished from their sight. He, he revealed them, himself to them in this meal, in the breaking of this bread, and then he vanished. This is a really interesting story. They heard the testimony of all the women. They walked with Jesus all day long. They spent hours with Jesus, seeing him in all of Holy Scripture, and they still, they didn't recognize him. Have you been there? Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there a lot this week, even. We are such silly, foolish disciples. It doesn't seem to matter sometimes if I wake up 
and I say my prayers and read my Bible, or if I go days without really stopping to pray, whether I do or I don't, I still, and it's so frustrating, I'm still impatient with my children. I can, I can do all the right things in the morning, and I still am short-tempered. Still, I'm hounded by all the things I've left undone, by my inadequacies, by my fears. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. Some days, no hope is awakened, and my heart is cold within my chest. I don't recognize him. I don't recognize him. But even in that place, Jesus doesn't leave us alone. It might seem like he's going on to the next village, but he's really just drawing us out. He's drawing us out. He wants us to call out to him. Stay with us. Stay with us. Gathering together in the home, seated around the table, he took and he blessed and he broke and he gave that we may know that you are revealed in scripture and the breaking of bread. This is what we pray every night in evening prayer. We are so often dull of hearing We're fools. We might not have heard a single word he has said to us all day long, but even then, tired at the end of the day, he invites us to gather around a table and to say, stay with us. Stay with us, Jesus. You have no reason to stay with us. We've given you no reason. We've been condescending towards you. We've tested you. We haven't recognized you. And then we get a little taste of his presence for a brief moment around a table, maybe around a fellowship meal. Together with other messed up followers of Jesus, together with others who are trying hard to believe, they're just trying, Lord, help my unbelief. We get a little taste and then again he vanishes from our sight. Is that what it feels like sometimes to you? That's what it feels like to me. St. Augustine puts it like this, thinking about this story. The Lord Jesus was made known, and after being made known, he appeared no more. He withdrew from them in the body, since he was held by them in faith. That indeed is why the Lord absented himself in the body from the whole church and ascended to heaven, He gave us this meal, this sacrament, which brings us together in recognizing him for the building up of faith. For the building up of faith. After he vanished, Cleopas, along with the other nameless disciple in our story, there was two disciples with him, those who heard from the two Marys and Joanna and the other nameless women, they ran back to Jerusalem. They gathered with the 11 remaining disciples and they cried out, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. It's a strange, it's a strange statement. If you're reading closely in the story, verse 35, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the concluding sentence of this story. Now, I want to pause for a second. He appeared to Simon? What? Where, where does that come from? It's out of the blue. You read commentaries, ancient and modern, people don't know when Jesus was revealed to Simon. Okay, I imagine, 
And I've not read this in any commentary over 2,000 years. There might be a commentary somewhere that says this. I imagine that Peter is the nameless disciple with Cleopas. We actually don't know when he was revealed and he appeared to Simon, but I imagine that he is the nameless disciple. Simon Peter, he's always named in the Gospels. He is the guy who is always speaking up, always entering into the conversation on behalf of everyone. The Simon Peter who will stand up in just a few short weeks at the Feast of Pentecost and who will boldly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and thousands of people will believe he appeared to that Simon. Sometime between this resurrection account where he meets the women at the empty tomb and now in Jerusalem. I imagine that Simon Peter is the nameless disciple. He's finally shut his mouth. In any case, in any case, at the end of Luke's gospel, just after our reading, the story continues. Jesus comes again to the disciples in Jerusalem and he freaks them out. We're familiar with this story. It's told in different ways in different gospels. But he says, touch me. You're terrified. Touch me and then you'll see. I am really here. I'm not a ghost. Jesus, the one who had been broken for them and given for them, who stood among them and blessed them, they took him in their hands. The text, it's very tactile. They touched him. They took him in their hands. And Luke records in verse 41 that they still disbelieved. Man, I love the gospel. These disciples are me. Are they you? They still were struggling. They touched the risen Lord Jesus after this over and over again. And then what does Jesus do at the very end of the gospel again? Jesus doesn't leave. He stays with them and he says, hey, you guys have you guys have something to eat. He sits down and he eats with them. Luke goes on to record in his second book, in the Acts of the Apostles, Simon Peter, along with the rest of of these scared and freaked out disciples, these apostles, he records them going into homes that they'd never been in before, into Gentiles and foreigners and women and slaves and free and centurions, going into homes and gathering in synagogues with Jews and Gentiles. And three times, I love this, three times again, Jesus has to break in and appear to Peter, go. Go, get up, and go eat with them. Peter's still resistant. He doesn't want to go sit at table with them, even though this is the place of the revelation. This is the place where he finally saw. Paul would later write to Peter in one of his letters, you need to eat with everyone, Peter. He publicly rebukes Peter. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. This is how the worship of the church began. Acts chapter 27 and verse 35. They took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. The only place. And this is my, this is my proposal here this morning according to Luke's gospel and the continuing story of the Acts of the Apostles. The only place to break the cycle of shame is at this table. It's the only place to do it. It's at this table where he was broken for us. 
This is the only place. And he invites us over and over again, even in our disbelief. Come, come sit, gather and feast at this table. Simon Peter went from gut-wrenching shame to joy. That was his story. And it took his whole life. It took his entire life to believe. From weeping bitterly to confessing that he was ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, his Lord, who is the spotless lamb without blemish. This is what we heard in his letter. Born again because of Jesus. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Raised from the dead and given glory because of Jesus. Purified by Jesus. Made holy and more and more obedient because of Jesus. And he repeats this. And so I want to make an appeal to Owen and Ivy this morning. Owen and Ivy and with you all of us. I want you to know this gospel today. I so desperately pray that you will know and believe this gospel today. And guess what else? I want you, after a lifetime of experience, of both active and passive shame, and a lot of forgiveness, a lot of giving and receiving of forgiveness, and obedience, and serving and being served, this is going to be your life. This is what we're committing to do alongside you and with you. At the end of your life, I want you to more deeply confess the free gift of the good news of Jesus. That's what we are, that's what we are calling out to God to begin in your hearts today by faith. So Owen and Ivy, this is the gospel. When you hear that word, this is good news for us. It's good news that I preached to you today that Peter preached 2,000 years ago. This is the gospel that we are about to proclaim in the waters of baptism. This is the redemption that we will share together as we recline at table with Jesus. Guys, we get to share a meal today. Owen and Ivy, are you excited to eat this meal with us today? I'm excited to eat this meal with you today. We'll take bread and we'll bless it. And we'll break it, and I'll give it to you, and we'll eat, and our eyes will be open to recognize Jesus. That's what we need. We'll know and experience Jesus together just a little bit more today, and a little bit more every day of our lives together. So how can you keep following Jesus to the end? Come to the table. Come to Jesus today with all of your disbelief and with faith. Come again. This is what it means to repent. Turn around and come back. Stop running away. Come again. Recline with him. Eat with him. And never stop coming back to him until the end of your days. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Owen, Ivy, and family, or sponsors, God